This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta. My conversation today is with LA-based drummer, percussionist, and vocalist Beth Goodfellow. Beth has toured and recorded with an eclectic list of acts including Iron and Wine, Orchestra Mendoza, and The Hot Sardines, and has put out two albums of her own original music. Like most of us, she is currently doing a lot of home recording, but is also becoming increasingly vocal about the effects COVID is having on the music industry. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We would also appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer, and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as one dollar a month gets you access to all of it if patreon isn't your thing you can also make a one-time donation through paypal we'd greatly appreciate that there are links for both paypal and patreon on our homepage at workingdrummer.net Here's a performance by David Northrup from his most recent solo record, Shapes. During this bass solo, he's using the buyer 5.5 by 12. Check it out. So Beth has taken a really interesting path in terms of the skill set she's developed and the way she brings different aspects of it to bear, depending on the musical setting. She has also been very vocal on social media about the ways in which COVID is changing or could change things for musicians, ranging from streaming royalties to physical safety on gigs. It's a really important conversation we need to be having, and in addition to Beth's unique playing and musical experience, this was one of the main reasons I wanted to talk with her. So Hope you dig it. Here is Beth Goodfellow. I started following your Instagram, looking at, you know, everything you play, first of all, all the different instruments you play and, and all the all the different ways that you make music. And I, I couldn't help but thinking, like, this could have been me. This totally could have been me. And I don't know why it's not, because I, you obviously have a background in um, percussion, classical music. Uh, mallet instruments, you know, in addition to all the drum set stuff. Um, and this was me in college. Like, I played jazz, I played classical, I did the solo marimba thing. I, I know I'm asking a long question here. Um, but I, it didn't occur to me that that um, I could combine them in the way that you appear to have. Because I thought combining them meant, like, you you play in a symphony orchestra and then you go play in a jazz club on a weeknight or something. Um, but you have just completely blurred that line, um, in what you do. Um, so how did you, how did you get here? <laughs> that's a, that's a great question, Zach. I, um, I did notice that you had all like very similar background to me. Mm -hmm. Like I also did a ton of musical theater and yes, I studied classical percussion. I started my 
drumming career. Well, I think I played my first gig when I was 11, but then in um, college, uh, a lot of the best musicians in my school were also part of an air national guard band. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was invited to audition for that. And yes, like all of these influences are part of like both of our backgrounds, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. musical theater, classical percussion, um, jazz as well. Um, which, uh, was a big part of my, um, musical development all through, um, when I was 11 through now, um, I love improvised music um, mm-hmm. and the conversation that is uh, the opportunity for conversation that exists in that space mm-hmm. um, that isn't, it's not the same in classical or in, um, you know, like Americana or rock. Um, it's just a different part of your brain that you're using right. in improvised music when yeah. you're conversing. So, um, but yes, how did I get here? Um, I think so when I moved to Los Angeles uh, seven years ago, I took a very decided break from gigging. Mm-hmm. I felt burned out. Um, I had a, a lot of um, amazing opportunities up in the Bay Area. And I, was, I ended up working six, seven nights a week up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that there was still part of me that wanted to write songs and wanted to... Um, I, I just felt like I hadn't developed as a person fully right, right. and that I didn't have time to do that. And then there was a couple singers, songwriters, or singers that crossed my path. Um, Whitney Houston, I think, passed away in 2012. Mm-hmm. And just hearing her music again, um, hearing her voice, like hearing the joy in her um, vocal performances reminded me that I always wanted to try to sing. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined... I. I joined a band around the same time um, where we were singing three-part harmonies. So I was drumming and singing at the same time. And I realized that through using my voice and drumming at the same time, I was using my entire being. Yeah. And it felt like really good for my brain to Mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, and then I also um, learned about this amazing artist, Kimbra around that time. Mm -hmm. And she was singing in this way that was just really powerful. And she was um, making music that was really, drawing on a lot of different influences and putting them all together. And I thought, gosh, like that's so inspiring. She's um, doing something that I've never heard anything that sounds like this. And I thought I need to be able to, Oh, and then um, I, I got a, co- a new computer around the same time that had garage band oh, sure. on it. So I started like writing songs again. I had taken a break from writing. Um, I just sort of decided, well, I guess I'm a working drummer, mm-hmm. you know, um, but then getting GarageBand and learning how to put put like a track together and overdubs and stuff, it was just sort of like rediscovering a, a cassette machine where <laughs> you could like do overdubs when you're a kid, right? I don't know. Yeah. I'm 38. I don't know I'm if th- you're around the same. I'm going to be 40 in like a week. <laughs> okay. So we're like in the same. Yeah. Like we remember cassettes. Sure. Um, but yeah, like I just... Oh, and then the marimba aspect of um, everything. I have tried to play guitar for my whole life, mm-hmm. and I can't for the life of me. <laughs> and so through just like the frustration of not having a chordal instrument, I thought, what do I have experience in? What can I say I'm like sort of an expert in that I already know how to do? Mm-hmm. I can get, you know, 
four notes at a time right. on the marimba. Right. That'll suffice. Yeah. And then, um, so I just thought, well, the marimba is my guitar. Mm. And I'm going to write like a, a marimba, um, a marimba chordal element, write lyrics over the top of that, and then I'll drum along with it and invite anybody else to come lay down some bass, some guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so this was this this became like a, a creative outlet for you in a time when you had felt burned out on music. Um, and it's it's interesting that you talk about GarageBand because like when I started, I first learned about GarageBand by doing this podcast. Like that's what I started out doing when I joined uh, my co-host, Matt, who was already doing the podcast. Like he taught me how to use GarageBand over the phone so that I could <laughs> record and edit these interviews. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm the type of person that, um, you know, sees a new tool like that or a new skill. And I'm like, how can I incorporate this to be more of a working drummer? Right. You appeared to look at it and say, I'm not interested in using this to be a working drummer. I'm interested in using this to be more creative. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's an interesting distinction to try to draw. I think, okay, I think having a, a um, like an artist career, like a solo artist, I don't have a solo artist career. I've put out a couple different, you know, record recorded efforts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think trying to enter that space and like feel what it is like to release a record and to hire musicians and to learn about recording, it all informs what, how you approach drumming. Mm-hmm. Like if I had never released an album, I wouldn't have empathy as much empathy for an artist who's like really trying to make it and like all the different things that is on their minds. Right. Um, before I tried to do that, I would just come to a gig and I would be, you know, focused on sort of my one sided experience of being um, in that, in that person's band. Yeah. And not necessarily conscious of all the other intricate things they're trying to do and balance. Right, right. It, so you're you're talking about like you know being being on the um, the leader end of a creative endeavor, and and I immediately thought of like uh, you know on the rare occasion I've been on the leader end of um, a professional endeavor, like you know putting together a wedding band or something for a contact who called me up and was like, this is not what I do, but I know them, I can put a band together. And it's exactly what you said. Like just a couple of experiences give you a ton of insight and empathy to people who do this every day. And, and the more I did it, the more I would like when I, when I was a side man on other people's shit, I was, you know, really made an effort to, uh, be the last thing they needed to worry about. Um, because my tendency would be to, you know, be a little bit, not not demanding and not a diva, but just like <laughs> bothering them with shit that I don't need to bother them with, right? Right, right. Like what? Like what? For example? Oh, like uh, you know, like how how big is the stage? Sure. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Like, like how long is the load in? Right. Right. How how you know how big of a set should I bring? Should I bring something really pared down or and you know af- over time I realized like you know bring the big one and if you get there and it's tiny set up the small one like don't waste their time 
with these questions that really don't need to be answered. Like they need to Absolutely. be, they need to be answered for my comfort zone, right? Because I just, <laughs> I, I want as few question marks as possible before I show up. Um, and, and I'm a person who, you know, I, 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 I don't have a poker face if I'm displeased <laughs> with a situation it becomes pretty obvious in a in an unhealthy passive aggressive way so i try i would try <laughs> i would try to mitigate that by getting as much information as possible so like i think my intentions were good most of the time but i finally realized like you know what just you know deal with what you show up to put away your resting bitch face and <laughs> and make your employer's life easier I, I, there's so much here. Yeah. I, <laughs> so I guess what, like, did, did you have any of those sorts of realizations in your process as a, as a creative leader? Uh, when, uh, oh when you gosh. went, when uh, you, like as a creative leader, you know, did you have some realizations that informed how you sort of interacted when you went back to being on someone else's project? Uh, yes. Um, let me try to think about what those would be. Um, Maybe by thinking about uh, what I wanted to bring to leadership from a side person's perspective, mm -hmm. I can get around to the answering that hopefully. Yeah. Um, when I first hired my first musicians to play on this record that I made over the course of five years, that was like <laughs> over an hour long and it was like ridiculous. Like that's one thing I learned is like, just put out a record that's like maybe 35 minutes long like no one has the attention span for an hour like that's just so self-indulgent but um it was fun to do it was fun yeah, to do yeah but so when i hired like it's so funny i'm remembering now like at the time this is like five years ago i remember calling up the afm and like asking them like should i be like ma like making these sessions a union contract because <laughs> <laughs> i was just concerned with like trying to be like do things by the book and be the best like from a business standpoint, trying to do it the right, the quote, right way. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, th I think maybe I didn't get, I didn't pursue the information as far as I should, which I'm actually kind of interested in that concept now, like unionizing a home session. And mm -hmm. since we're all at home yeah. Um, and I, I still, yeah, I have to um, maybe over the course of this interview, I, you might find my brain content to go in, lots of different directions. Oh so. yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> and, and that, that whole subject, um, is, is something I want to talk with you about. Um, sure. In, in terms of just the, the, the money business end of, um, you know, what the future holds. <laughs> sure. Um, let me try to answer your question that you just asked. Yeah. It's important. Um, I think so. Um, one thing that I've been more conscious of because I've released my own music is just how abysmal the streaming rates are for artists mm -hmm. and songwriters. Um, by releasing my own music, I've under, I've tried, I've gotten a little bit of understanding about how hard it is to manage metadata yeah. and like how important it is that all that information gets properly recorded the first time it's taken down so and because it gets sent to all these different places um how much work there is and just keeping track of inventory making sure the isrc code is right making sure the upc is recorded properly like all these things that the label is thinking about or the artist is thinking about if they don't have help with that mm -hmm. um 
And then, yeah, um, just trying, like, they they have so much that's going through their minds, even, like, while they're playing, because they're, like, standing in the front of the stage. Right. Like, they're seeing all the reactions of, like, maybe the people in the front row that are dozing off, or, um, and all these things now sound so like I miss the I miss them so much like yeah. someone falling asleep in the front row of a show would be just like delightful right now yeah yeah like, <laughs> but yeah because we're behind our drum sets we're just like you know we're in our I don't know how you experience live performance but I tend to feel like that I'm backing the artist and then they're like totally a, um ambassador for between the band and the crowd or something. Absolutely. But. Yeah. And we've, we've talked on the podcast quite a bit about how most, most drummers are at their core introverts. Um, sure. Because if we were extroverts, we wouldn't be at the back of the stage behind a big fortress. You know, we'd be at the <laughs> front of the stage with a guitar or a mic. Um, so a lot of us do a good extrovert impression but when it really comes down to it, we just want to be back there in our little world, supporting all the extroverts out there. Um, but yeah, continue. Well, it's so comforting to like build your little fortress. <laughs> like when you're setting up for the show, you're yep. like, oh, okay, cool. Like, yep. Now I have my little house. Yep. Like, it's like putting this. up your trapper keepers before the test. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that was a thing. That's so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, um, what other things would art like? Do I have a sympathy for now? Um, gosh, I don't know. I'll probably think of some more. Yeah, uh, it, there's just a ton of parallels between um, you know whether it's a, a more commercial endeavor or a creative endeavor. The person at the helm, uh, like you, you, you have no idea how much that person actually has to keep track of and worry about and deal with until you mm-hmm. do a little bit of it yourself. Um, and and it's really useful perspective about how to be a you know uh, a useful side person you know because no matter how you play and no matter how smart or funny you may be if if you find ways to be high maintenance yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. no matter what your intentions are that's going to factor into you know whether or not they continue to work with you that's a hundred percent right. That's a hundred percent right. And there's like a balance between, I think, especially on the road, like, I don't know how much touring life you've experienced, but on the road, any, like anything that would normally for me in my experience, anything that would normally be like easily dealt with or easily like pushed aside becomes, um, you know, through, it depends how much sleep do you get? How far did you have to drive that day? Like how long has it been since you've had a day off? Yeah. Um, you know, are you able to keep in touch with your family and friends back home sufficiently so that you feel connected to them, but still present in your work life with your teammates on the road? Like all Mm -hmm. these things, um, it's like a very delicate balance. Um, so yeah, I, in, in, I'm in the process right now of like trying to think about, well, hopefully at some point we all will be back at work and we will be going out on tours again. Mm-hmm. And like, what are, what are things that I've experienced through touring that I think 
musicians should try to be better advocates for themselves you know to be be able to just have a better mental health experience on the road yeah just was only starting to experience um, all these wonderful venues mm-hmm. that are um, a lot of them have joined together in this um, national independent venue association. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. But a little bit. Yeah. It's a lot of my favorite spaces. Um, and I, I was just really enjoying like showing up to the Paps theater in Milwaukee and, you know, experiencing like the wonderful food that they have in their green room Mm -hmm. and, or, you know, the Rialto theater in Tucson is another one of my favorite venues that Mm -hmm. um, there's like a little radio station across the street in the hotel Congress. And they have these cool murals that they um, put up on the side of the venue for every, or not every, but a lot of the bands that come through. And so like each of these places is so unique and special. And um, it really makes being out on the road, like you feel like you're coming to another home. Like every time you come back to a venue where you've had a good experience. Right. Um, so sorry. I forgot what the question was. Well, no, we were just talking about like, you know, kind of practicing self care on the road. Um, but, but what you're talking about is, is one of those things that makes the road great, you know, because sometimes, sometimes the venue is like not really a venue or, <laughs> or a shitty venue, and sometimes travel sucks, but, but it kind of recharges you when you get into a space like that that is dedicated to live music, that is, is operated by you know, people of goodwill who are genuine fans and supporters of music. And you can, like, if you, no matter what the venue is like, if you find yourself in, in a town or a setting where like, the arts and live music are important to that community in general, that's so encouraging and, and just so sort of energizing and gratifying. Um, I remember I was uh, on tour with Ruby Bell and the Sulfonics a couple of years ago, and the, we were supposed to play an outdoor festival that got rained out. It was in this little town in Virginia, and it got rained out, but the backup venue for the festival was a local brewery. And nice. So at, like everybody got the word, um, you know, they, they sent, they sent the, the town crier around like, plan B, go to the brewery. And, you know, the, the people of this little town just, like, packed out this brewery, and they were totally into it. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that kind of experience when, when people are just into what you do and into live music, no matter what the venue is, um, just sort of helps you practice that self-care. Like, this is why I'm out here. Yes, absolutely. Like, having, like, the show be, like, your meaning of the day Mm -hmm. like the entire day is geared around that moment where you get to walk out on stage and like start it's like this i don't know for me like drumming is like this like kind of like spiritual endeavor where Mm -hmm. like the minute the song starts hopefully you can forget 
that you exist and just <laughs> like be, be the music, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. like hopefully if everything's going well, which like, it doesn't even all have to be going well. Like if you've had enough experience playing in rooms where you can't hear your, your singer or, you know, maybe it's too hot or something like all yep. these things, like over time you get experience with dealing with that and setting it aside mentally. Um, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, having that, like, you know, the bus pulls up in the morning and you do your run you know, you find a local coffee shop. Um, you uh, maybe you do your your warm ups. Um, you have a little bit of alone time, um, and then you eat your dinner. And then the tour manager is like, "Okay, like half an hour till showtime." And then like the every if I think for me, like having every single day be a predictable structure like that is yeah. so helpful. Mm-hmm. It's so helpful. And I love sometimes being on the road more than being at home. Um, where I run into trouble is when things become unpredictable and maybe there's like, Oh, promo all of a sudden that wasn't on the schedule. And I, now I have to like adjust my exercise schedule and when I'm going to eat. And now everything is ter- like turned into chaos and I don't do very well with that sort of thing. But, I, I don't either. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't either. I, Hence, you you saying you you like to ask a lot of questions before the gig and know what to expect, right? And it's it's not that I have like certain standards or shit on my rider. Like I'm I'm cool. Mm-hmm. I, I can be cool with almost anything that I know about mm-hmm. in advance. Yes, <laughs> right, hundred hundred percent. Like if there's because if there's a change in plans, even if the change isn't really bad, I'm like mm, this is this is not what it, this is not what you said. <laughs> 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 I think for me, the thing that comes up in my brain immediately is, oh, no, I haven't been able to plan for this. I might fail in my endeavor to do the best job that I can do for the artist. Right. Because the predictability is is geared towards you being your best self on stage. Yes. And now I have to find a different way to be my best self on stage. <laughs> and, and with not a lot of time to prepare for that. And right. then, yeah, so... It's it's so like helpful, and I love when the, there is a clear schedule and there is a predictable time when you're going to eat. And t- and I know that like stuff like that becomes easier to maintain as the budget gets bigger. Sure. And if the budget isn't like if you're trying to stretch a budget, then things are going to start to have a little bit of like a loose fray on the edges of the rug. Mm -hmm. Like, and um, music, music, I'll just say music is a $62 billion industry. So live music. (laughs) uh, I think from, from what I've been um, like the, the limited research I've been doing during quarantine, it's a combination of live and streaming. Okay. Um, I'm surprised it's not more. More than $62 billion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's an astronomical number, but when, when you include like recorded music and streaming that, you know, it's, that's not, uh, not as much as I thought it would be. Um, maybe after we get off the, um, zoom, I can figure out where that number came from and, and send it to you. Cause I, I always like to try to cite my sources, but right. I, I've been holding that number in my head. Like, gosh, like that's a lot of money. And, um, yeah, yeah, the 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 way it breaks down and the way that like bands are given budgets and like touring 
things. Like it's, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah. Major labels, like working with indie labels that are kind of like leased by the major labels. I don't know like how that works exactly. I'm I have no idea. I just, you know, the, 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 the older I get, the more I know how much I don't know. Um, yes. and, you know, it, I, I got out of college and it was like, I, I would like to play drums for money, you know, and, <laughs> and I've, I've gotten to, but, um, you know, the, the, the amount that I don't know about how the industry I'm in actually works and where the money actually is and, and who mm-hmm. actually, uh, you know, holds the strings and guards the doors and, and all that shit. Um, it's, it's really mind blowing and, and sort of discouraging in a way. Um, but I mean, talk about that. Like what, what given, given COVID, given the pandemic, um, you know, this is, this has got to be an opportunity for musicians to, um, recalibrate, uh, how, how music business is done to some extent. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, there's like, I would like to see the musical, the music business ecosystem as like a team effort because when I've been my happiest that I've ever been in my life, it was because I was on a tour, not the happiest I've ever been in my life. Like absolutes are like tricky to deal with, right? right. Like I've been happy as a right. child and like I've been happy as a teenager right. and happy as a young adult. Like, but one of my most the best, recent- like, The best happiest, taco you've ever had is the one you're eating. Dude, <laughs> there's nothing else to say. <laughs> Especially in Los Angeles, there's so many great tacos here. It is, it is the Napa Valley of tacos for sure. Um, for sure. But anyway, I, I I didn't mean to derail you. The happiest <laughs> you you've ever been. About... <laughs> yeah, yeah. The happiest I've ever been was like going to my rehearsal space uh, in Highland Park and then walking outside and like eating at the taco stand. That's the happiest I've ever been. <laughs> it wasn't the tour no. you were about to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Drummers and food, though. Like Oh, for real. For real. Like being, yeah. Do you, you know Marcus to, like... Finney? No, but I know that name. He's a, he's a Nashville drummer, great jazz drummer, and like fusion and, and all kinds of stuff. And like, I, I love cooking, and I, I know my way around a kitchen, but Marcus's Instagram is like... It's kind of alternating like drums in the studio and food in the kitchen on the grill. And I'm like, this dude. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. I drummers. have to write that down. Yeah. No, d- you're right. Drummers are super into the foods. I've been taking all these like notes on Zoom calls lately. And my friends laugh at me because they all know how to do it on like, you know, all the different <laughs> apps they have. Right. But I, I, I just have like. Yeah. piles of scribbles anyway yep no my yeah. wife is the same way just like papers with handwriting that i can't read yeah <laughs> um, uh, um anyway so this this like very happy time period um was like uh being on this tour where you could see everything just working together so well like mm-hmm. um for whatever was going on it was like a well-oiled machine and there was like a lot of just respect and care and collaboration. Um, and like the music was awesome and like everything was really creative and the the business side of it felt good. And um, so moving forward, like post COVID, I imagine that like 
things can still be like that in like a best case scenario. Um, and like all these small venues can survive and like music labor can like maybe it would be, it would be nice to like have a conversation about what we feel would be like a safe return to work. If that, like, I know yeah, that's a different thing for a lot of different people. Um, but I think venues are considering how they can come together and have like best practices and, um, you know, from everything from like, are we going to like sell microphones, like have microphones available for sale? Or are we going to yeah. use pop screens and st- like, what's the, you know, we make everybody have bring available? their own microphone. Like what? Yeah. 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 And, and then, um, but, but as musicians, like we should be having that conversation among ourselves to compare it to what the venues are working on mm-hmm. so that we can all like collaborate on like, well, what feels good? Like, cause what you don't want is a situation where a band arrives at a venue and then like the safety is just obviously like not planned out. Right. And then the band is like, well, we're not going to play. Right. And, and that would just be worst case scenario, right? Like best case scenario is like people have worked out ahead of time. What, what feels safe and then they agree on it and then it happens <laughs> and right. then the show happens mm-hmm. and then everyone's safe and we have live music again. And um, so, yeah. And I, it would also like, it's kind of a, a dream of mine that musicians like side musicians would be able to get a little bit more like back end on things mm-hmm. moving forward, because I think streaming is just, it's going to be a bigger part of the industry. Yeah. Like, I mean, isn't it kind of already the biggest part of the industry? Like it, yeah, it is. Yeah. I think, I think the revenue, like on the pie charts that I see, like streaming is more than live. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, live is still a big chunk of it. And, and for like musicians, side musicians, like that's where we make most of our money anyway, is the live side. I don't know about you, but yeah. Um, for me, like play, being able to play drums live and like get paid that day yeah, or, you know, that year, hopefully right. um, is like most of my work. Right. So, um, but how do you, how do you sort of envision musicians having that conversation amongst like with, with each other? Because, you know, the, 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 the hired gun um, sort of, uh, industry is famously wild west you know unions Mm -hmm. unions are pretty much a thing of the past unless you're in la or new york or vegas Mm -hmm. um and you know musicians can't agree on how much a bar gig should pay (laughs) um right so how do you how do you envision how do you envision us having this this conversation like a big sort of thirty thousand foot conversation um and and you know where or on what platform do you think that can happen hmm. for me the way that i converse best is like one to one sure and just having conversations like i'll talk to you about it and i'll talk to you know one of my other drummer friends about it i'll talk to somebody an artist about it and ask them like what do you think about musicians you know like why like this issue, this, but I think you have to look at COVID as an opportunity because 
most of us aren't working Mm -hmm. at all right now. And so, and when we go back to work, naturally our concern is going to be, is it safe? Mm -hmm. And then the doors open. Like, is it safe? You know, X, Y, and Z, is that going to happen on, on stage? How do you ensure that that's going to happen? How do you ensure that it's going to be safe? And at the same time, what about these other things that have been inconsistent and um, maybe we could be doing a little bit better on? Um, right. And in, just in terms of like the pay aspect alone, um, you know, the, the primary concern used to be is, is the pay fair? Is it equitable? Whether you do, whether you're doing a live gig Mm. or, or, um, a recording thing, like a streaming thing, like that was the primary question. So is, is that question going to be a a casualty of the new question of, is it safe? You know, are venues or, um, Mm. streaming services or the powers that be going to say, uh, well, like how, how bad do you want to play? It is safe. So, you know, how about what, um, like, do you, can we expect to, you know, can we expect to get paid what we were getting paid before COVID, whether it's a tour or a bar gig or a wedding gig or, and I think the answer is yes, but like, how do we do that? <laughs> you know, because I think a lot right. of, a lot of people are going to say, you know, this is a new world. The old rules are gone and, uh, you know, there is just not as much money to go around for musicians anymore. Hmm. Whenever somebody tells me there's not enough money, I'm like, really though? <laughs> right. Because yeah. there's a lot of like money that just went to all these billionaires and, yeah. you know, these airlines and these, I mean, there's, there's money, mm-hmm. there's money in this industry. There's so much money. Yeah. Um, th- there's only three major labels and they kind of like control a lot of things. And there's a lot of, you know, Spotify, what just like is, is one of like the, the most successful, um, like, uh, tech companies ever. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Like, I don't know. Is it, is it 500 something, not million billion? I don't know, but yeah, I would believe it. Yeah. So there's, there's money in this industry or people wouldn't be frantically like trying to figure out how to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, is is the question of equitable pay going to be a casualty of the safety conversation? I mean, I I would argue that like post COVID, we're going like I wouldn't work, I wouldn't play a wedding gig for like the same rate that I used to, simply because there's a greater risk involved now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I don't know, like yeah, you're always gonna you can't you can't like organize every laborer like there are going to be i think it's like maybe what i'm thinking about is like there are going to be people who cross the figurative picket line um and go play the covid infested wedding for (laughs) a hundred bucks yeah Yeah. i mean i think what we're trying to do is like set professional standards for like like working professional working drummers Mm -hmm. like and I think these like new safety standards are going to have to be instrument specific. Like trumpet yeah. players are going to have different concerns than drummers. It's like if you have a drum tech, like how do you interface with them to um, make sure that you're sanitizing things? Yeah. And um, 
you know, who sets up what part of the kit and um, I don't know, but like, I, I don't know. I've never had a drum tech. Like, <laughs> Me neither. I, I don't know that I would even want, like I, I, uh, I enjoy setting up my own kit, but it is nice to get help right. um, with, with anything for right, sure. But, right. um, but I know what you're yeah, saying. Just there like, are just so many variables like that we never had to consider before um, that, that kind of uh, affect every aspect of a gig from the time you drive your car up there or your bus or whatever until the time you leave. Ruby Vell and the Sulfonics turned down a festival gig in August in Alabama, which, mm-hmm. you know, bizarrely is still going forward um, because it just didn't seem like they were doing enough to guarantee. I, I told the uh, the band leader, like, you know, my concern is that we take every precaution possible. We take separate cars. We don't use the hotel they're, pay- they're paying for. You know, we can take every precaution possible. And then if we show up there on the day of the gig and we are swarmed by unmasked crew, yeah, what do we do? <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, those are all great questions. I mean, you're thinking about your personal safety mm-hmm. and we shouldn't have to all be alone in those conversations with, you know, management or artists or whoever it is that's trying to, like, I played a video the other day um, and the original gig call was, oh, we're going to be in this production studio. Um, There's going to be three of us on stage and there's going to be four, you know, film crew and um, we're all going to be wearing masks. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, well, like, what's the space? Like, what's the deal? Is there a window? Like, can we get some air circulation? You know, and at that point I hadn't played in like two or three months right. and I was dying, dying to play. Right. Like I speak that language better than I speak the English language. <laughs> you know, like I, I need to be able to like communicate that way. And so I was like, how can I make this happen? Like I would love to do this gig. Um, but then I got a video of the, the um, room and it was so tiny and, and it just didn't seem safe to me. So I turned it down mm-hmm. and then um, it was moved outside the shoot was moved outside and um, at night so that they could use the lights and stuff. And that there was a promise, okay, masks, everyone's going to be wearing masks and we'll be six feet apart. And then, um, and I was like, that, that feels safe to me. Mm -hmm. I'm down to do this. Um, Of course, like halfway through the shoot, it was like, can you do a, a take without the masks? Because we don't, you know, we don't want aesthetically, it's not as nice as having, I was like, man, like this is going to be interesting moving forward because we agreed on one thing, but it was a handshake deal. Yep. And now in the moment we're being pressured to do something different than we agreed upon. And if I don't, you know, go through with what they're asking, right. Then I'll, you know, maybe it won't be called back again. Right. And that's nothing new. That proposition is as old as the music industry itself, but now it's, it's about fucking COVID. It's not about when you eat, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, man, for real. it's not about whether you do two sets versus three or whatever. It's about whether or not you might catch fucking COVID. Right. Exactly. And we shouldn't have to be in these conversations by ourselves. And I like, yeah, I, I, I hope that there's a way for musicians to like standardize a set of like best practices on our own behalf mm-hmm. somehow. Yeah. Um, but like whether we do it regionally or whether we do it like 
nationwide. I don't know. But I mean, it'll probably, you know, ideally it could be like, um, you know, school reopenings because, you know, musicians in their community kind of know what's safe and what's not. There's a consensus in, in small communities or within communities about, um, you know, what's going on (laughs) and what is, what is safe. Um, but yeah, Yeah. it's just, uh, you know, and, and I, I certainly don't expect you to have, um, all the, all the answers to this stuff, but I can tell (laughs) like on social media, you're like, you're asking important questions about this. Oh, have you been watching my stories? (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. Sometimes I'll like post something and I'll be like, I'm never going to work again after I post this. Like, I hope like, you know, there's some, there's some like, really great friends of mine who are band leaders or managers or you know they have different interests than those of uh, well the the interests i think the interests are they should be collaborative like Mm -hmm. i want to be working with artists and managers who have my safety and like mental health and like they're trying to sell something Mm -hmm. i'm trying to sell myself as a drummer they're trying to sell the show like every part of it like, you know, every part of it should should be um, able to be operating at its high, like at or near its highest um, potential, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And in order to do that, like my body needs food. It's a machine. It needs to eat. It needs to sleep. And I need to be able to stretch before I play. I need some mental like space in order to focus on the music. And if someone is putting together a product that that kind of drumming would make better. Like that's the kind of band I want to be playing with. Right. I don't want to be just playing like a drum machine part that yeah. doesn't need any of the things that I think are my strengths as a drummer to bring mm-hmm. to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we can all agree that those things make the product better, then it should be a no brainer to make those things happen. Right. Right. And, you know, I'm realizing now that it, you know, COVID questions might not Mm -hmm. be as as tough of a call for a lot of us as as we fear, um, because, you know, the the band leaders and the promoters and the tour managers and the MDs and everybody you worked for who had your best interest at heart before all this, like, you know who those people are. Yes, I do. And. Mm -hmm they're going to have our best interest at heart now going forward. Yes. Um, yes. So I think, you know, uh, it, it's, it's a good reminder for me to kind of like take inventory of who those people are and use this to, um, you know, strengthen those relationships and, and, and say, that's who I want to have, you know, that's who's going to have my back at, at this gig in September that may or may not happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like, it's not at all unreasonable to like reach out to some of those people because, and, and have that conversation like, Hey, I've been thinking like, what, what are you preparing as a band leader or a management team or a venue for safety? And mm-hmm. like, how can I be aware of what you're working on? How can I help? Mm-hmm. How can I um, prepare myself to, um, be part of this yeah just part like a like get back to work in a safe way that like benefits everyone because like i said earlier you don't want there to be a situation where you get to a venue and like the safety isn't what you expected or 
Um, right. Yeah. And I but, think that the other thing about that conversation is that I'm, I'm realizing it, it might not be possible to have that conversation just yet because things are still so uncertain. You know, mm-hmm. in, in a, a year from now, hopefully when we've had, you know, a steady decline in numbers and when there is a vaccine and, and when we can really sort of predict with some certainty uh, when and how things are going to move forward. Um, I think we can those those conversations with those people will definitely be easier to have and and more concrete. If I was to call up one of those people right now, I'm sure they would be like, "Dude, I I got nothing. I who knows?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I know. I, I I've been like mostly talking to other musicians, but I have talked to like a couple. Um, people that are in charge of venue safety and like I'm really encouraged by what I'm hearing the buyer snare drum of the week is this big old boy seven and a half by 14 performed by Nashville session drummer Mark Beckett So the, the pandemic unemployment assistance like runs out like this week, right? Uh, yes. Unless Mitch McConnell suddenly cares about other people. <laughs> oh, my fingers are crossed. <laughs> um, but So how do we like there shouldn't be a huge rush to get back to playing live gigs if none of this stuff has been worked out. Yeah. So how are we going to make money in the meantime? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. Like, I, I've transitioned all my students to Skype lessons. Um, mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's a fraction of what I was making before. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I know a lot of musicians are in the same boat of receiving unemployment or PPP or EIDL or, you know, some mm-hmm. sort of, like, government help. Um, and it's, you know, the the, the age-old sort of uh, conservative talking point about that sort of government help is that it disincentivizes work. Um, and, and that, you know, that argument can be had separately, but in these circumstances, if, if work is not safe, um, then the, the, the incentive argument sort of, uh, disintegrates. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I don't know. It would be if this, this interview is going to, um, go up in what, nine days at the end of July. Mm -hmm. And by that time. Um, this PUA thing might have been decided, but if it's not, everybody get on the phone with your senators and say that PUA is super helpful to a lot of people right now. Um, So, uh, so yeah, I I mean, go ahead. Okay. I I think your instinct there is spot on to like for the, I mean, I've been in touch with my city council person Mm -hmm. since March. (laughs) like that's that's awesome i mean (laughs) we're old pals now um but like because because i look at my community and i'm seeing okay there's so many of these national independent venue association venues in his council district Mm -hmm. and why wouldn't it be in like it just seems like politically 
you know, um, supporting the arts is something that most people want to do. It's, they say they want to do it. They say they want to do it. <laughs> right. It's like, how, how are you going to support the arts? Right. Um, but uh, anyway, there's, I just made a Google map the other day just for myself, like putting all the venues that I know about mm-hmm. on this map in the council district. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of them and they are all saying that if they don't get an extension of, you know, what is it? The PPP or yeah. the, that they're going to not be able to make it through. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's also like, of course they have the option of like private funding and like going that direction. And, you know, um, but I would, I haven't like dug super deep into the restart act, but it looks like that's what NIVA is trying to make happen. And there's major label support Mm -hmm. behind that act. Um, I've not heard of this act. So first of all, NIVA is national independent venues association. Yeah. Okay, we'll put a we'll put a link up to that, but what is the is it the, you said the Restart Act? There's the thing called the Restart. I haven't read the act myself. I have not had time yet, but um I just saw that there was a letter that um I think it was like the major like a bunch of major um labels signed on to in support of this act happening. I like my whole reason of moving to Los Angeles is um, to learn more about myself as a musician and learn as much as I can about the industry. Mm. Cause it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like how did Bonnie Raitt put out Nick of time produced by Don was when she was what, like 40 years old, like, and it just became like this moment of everything coming together to make this awesome record. Yeah. Like the industry is so crazy fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then like this COVID thing, like, how is this, like, we're in a moment, like a history making moment right now. Like yeah. how, where are we as an industry? How are we going to, how are we going to get through? Like, who's going to survive? Um, yeah. It's just like, and then you're sitting at home and you don't have any work and all you have to do is just research these things and like kind of get nosy. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I've, I've done some of that, um, but I'm I'm a person like you know, the the same way if you know if shit kind of goes south on a gig, I'll get like sort of inward and passive aggressive or whatever. You know, if 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 I read the news, because I'm I, I stay very up on the news, but I don't feel like I do very much about it. Like I don't research the restart act like you are, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, it's it it really is an opportunity for all of us to to just find out more about our industry, more about our government, how the two intersect, um, and, uh, and just advocate for ourselves, um, in, and, and I, I don't, I don't think there's really a right or wrong way to do that. Um, but just increasing your awareness and, and letting your voice be heard to whoever, uh, you know, to whoever's in front of you, whether it's an elected official or uh, your bass player. <laughs> you <know. laughs> You're like, hey, man, like, can you lay back a little bit? No. Um, <laughs> oh, man, I miss bass players. Uh, right? Right? Jesus. Ooh. Yeah. A, lot, a couple of the, the collabs, I hate the word collab, and I just... I, <laughs> I'm trying to get over it because I know it's just a thing and it's here to stay, but I'm I'm trying to get over it. So a, a lot of the collabs I've been doing have been like very bass player driven, either just a duo with a bass or like anytime I'm 
you know, if I see somebody playing solo bass, I'm like, oh, I'm going to rip it. I'm going to put drums with it. Or if I put something down, I'm like, which bass player? Is, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Like, that's your next, like, train of thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, some of my favorite bass players are, are, like, also really good drummers. Like who? Like, they have... Um, <laughs> I've been working with a, um, a, an artist uh, based in Tucson um, called Orquesta Mendoza. Yeah. And uh, he um, is a band leader and he plays every instrument, but I love his bass playing and I love his approach to the drums. Mm -hmm. Like it's not super technical, but it's like the, yeah, it's. Um, I had the same experience with Charlie Hunter. I interviewed Charlie Hunter a month or six weeks ago. Um, and cool. he's, you know, he, he bags really hard on his own drumming. Um, but it's just so good. It's like, it's like you said, it's not super fancy. It's not technical. It's just like all of the important shit. <laughs> yep. You know? Yeah. The feel is there. Yeah. Um, you said that you don't like the word collab, uh -huh. but you got me thinking about the word collaborate and it's literally like co-laboring. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> I always, um, for some reason, I always like thought of the word laboratory with that, but um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm oh. I'm just I'm I'm a grammar Nazi, and um, <laughs> uh, a lot of the a lot of abbreviations and and slangs or or whatever I like I just bristle at them. I don't I don't know why I'm a I'm a linguistic elitist, I guess in in that sense. Um, but but saying like. I did a collaboration with someone just doesn't sound hip. Like it sounds like you're, mm. you're two architects working on a thing together. It's like, but if you mm. say, if you say I did a collab, then that automatically puts you in like the, <laughs> in the cool kids camp. Oh, just cause it's abbreviated. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh um, yeah. And it Maybe used to be, be the word of, <laughs> it, it used to be my bad. And now it's my B. Oh, right. Yeah. Like we just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, I, I can feel it leaving me behind. Like I'm, I'm about to turn 40 COVID made me more introverted and more cranky. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like I was uh, in, in, in January, I could feel myself just like slipping into get off my lawn territory. And I think I'm, <laughs> I'm even, were more you aware of, of COVID in January? Cause I hadn't. No, no. Yet. But just in the sense of my own aging, you know, and, oh. and, uh, uh, you know, pop culture and what I was seeing on Instagram, just sort of being markedly younger than me, um, mm. and, and just being, mm. becoming more aware of that and making the decision. I don't know if you're experiencing this at your age, but like, do you find yourself having to make decisions about like, am I going to get hip to this? Am I going to go along with this? Or yes. am I just going to start being the, the older person <laughs> who doesn't um, yes. care? Yes, I, I will not never care, um, but I make just like, I think I've had just, <laughs> I've been resisting, like, I always thought like that I could be like one of these um, like session drummers that is just like super hard hitting and like technical and I know I can play that way, like I have it in me to do it, but mm -hmm. I keep getting like whatever city I move to or whatever like situation I'm in, I keep getting kind of like swept into this like indie corner yeah like this and it that has like like because i have a, a a history of playing like um just 
softer stuff, like playing in a lot of restaurants in San Francisco. I learned how to use dynamics really well. And right. so um, I've gotten into this um, genre and like the group of musicians that where age is like kind of like the older you get, the more like, there's space for age in like folk Americana. Um, yeah. And so I'm not like worried or scared about getting too old or like out of touch. I mean, you know it's cruel Do I have to say it? You got me so in love I see you waiting for me To stay Our eyes came flashing I spent a lot of time at the beginning of quarantine um, Learning Ableton Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, I was also going to ask Like, everybody's got kind of a quarantine project going Um and yeah, Ableton is is still a, a largely a mystery to me. But what was your experience with that? With Ableton? Yeah. Or um, so that was something that I'd been meaning to get to since like 2012 because mm-hmm. it came across my path and like it's like oh shoot like this is another thing that I need to learn how to do. Um, but I was only just learning GarageBand at that point, so I was kind of focused more on just a traditional DAW, like a linear DAW. Right. Um, but then in quarantine. I thought like I, so the way that I write my marimba pieces is I'll write um, like three different parts because I'm a huge fan of Steve Reich. And I, I, I love... heard that. <laughs> I literally, like I listened to some of your stuff and I was like, this could be one of those percussion ensemble pieces. Like it's. I, I wrote a couple percussion ensemble pieces um, in college and submitted them to like composition competitions that's cool say that five times fast <laughs> composition, composition. um but i got like denied super hard and so i like <laughs> you know i felt like oh maybe this isn't for me but then you know part of this journey of self-discovery has been like well i don't care like if someone thinks i'm not good at it if it brings me joy i'm gonna do it anyway so mm-hmm. um i started like looking back at my love of steve reich's music and okay well, what do i love about it i love the, the rhythmic counterpoint i love harmonically like the palettes that he draws from Um, so I thought, let me just narrow this down into, I'm going to make, um, open up a Sibelius document, three staves, um, three marimba lines. I can play with two mallets Mm -hmm. to keep it simple. Yeah. And so, um, Ableton live, like looping with hands free is like really conducive to how I'm composing. Uh So I figured out by watching these like YouTube videos of um, like EDM musicians, yeah, like how they trigger, um, <laughs> this is like, I still don't really understand it, but they use the uh, I, IAC driver that's inside of a Mac and it's like a MIDI instrument that's in the Mac and you can like program it to like trigger like different like functions in Ableton. So mm-hmm. you say, okay, after like three bars, I want the IAC driver to like record this loop and stick it over here in this slot. And then it'll keep playing and I can play another one on top of that. I can see I'm like, maybe like talking a little bit too. No, uh, I like, but I, there, there are people listening to this who are going to know exactly what you're talking about. Even if I don't, uh (laughs) (laughs) I hope I got it right. Um, (laughs) But it was just really empowering because I'd wanted to have time to figure that out for so long. And it was just, it was like, you know, you have a week between tours here, you know, a day, 
a day off in a hotel room here mm-hmm. and you never get like the long, like extended focused time that you would need to wrap your head around something right. like that. Right. So I'm really thankful that I had all my gear and mm-hmm. that Ableton made their software free for, na- I think they've even extended it further. Right. Same um, with Logic. I mean, I learned how to use Logic. Well, not learn, but like I made the transition from GarageBand to Logic during quarantine because Logic did that 90 day trial. Um, and I was how like, how do you oh, like it? I love it. I mean, there, I, there's, you know, a, a ton that I still don't know about it, but um, what I've learned in the last few months um, like you said, it finally gets you over that hump of like, it's been, it, you know, it's been in the back of your mind for years. Like I've really got to learn this. I've really got to make this part of my repertoire, part of my skill set. Um, and for me, like for you, that was Ableton for, for me, that was recording in general. Um, you know, oh, great. just learning, learning about mics, learning about, um, logic, uh, getting an interface in here. Um, so, you know, uh, quarantine gave me the, the time and the space to just get that started and spend hours accomplishing nothing, but, <laughs> but learning, <laughs> uh, you know, what not to do. <laughs> You're um, making me want to ask you about your recording setup that you have behind you. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty stripped down. Um, and I kind of intentionally started that way a, because, you know, my, my knowledge, um, base just isn't big enough to do much else, but B, um, like I've, I've got, okay. So I've got a scarlet, um, 18 I 20, uh, interface. Um, and I've got, uh, two AT 4040s and, um, an SM 57 and an I five, um, and just an old sure kick mic. I think it's called a, a P 55. Um, I can't even find it anymore. I think it's like the Ford escort of kick mics. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm just working with some basic mics in, in basic configurations. And, you know, I, I, I am fortunate in that a, a friend of mine who is a brilliant engineer and room tuner, like set me up with some great treatment, like the, the, um, the cloud diffuser and these panels. And so the room sounds great. I'm, I'm starting, uh, from a, from a rather spoiled spot in that regard, but just learning how to use it, learning how to use these mics, learning where to place them and learning how to mix drums and use compression and EQ. And like, I'm on the phone with friends, uh, one in particular named Giuliano Mingucci, who's a dear friend of mine, former guest on the, on the podcast. Um, and he's been counseling me through the basics of (laughs) recording drums. And, um, it's been really encouraging, uh, you know, the results I've gotten, like I said, I, you know, the amount I have to learn is still just astronomical, but did you find that like once you learned a little bit about Ableton, you were like, Oh shit, it's on now. Like, yes, (laughs) yes. I think the major, um, first of all, like congratulations on getting, set up with recording and that you have like a network to ask questions to and some folks to help you with that treatment. It looks amazing. Um, and I think like as drummers, like if, if you can have that right now, it's like maybe the difference between like, what am I going to do versus like, okay, I think I see a a path forward here for a little while. Yeah. Especially if you need, like if you and me need structure, right. (laughs) Yes. And now it's just up to us. Like we have to, you know, figure out, ways to like stay engaged, stay busy. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, like we said, the money is like a separate conversation, but, 
um, mm-hmm. finding ways to s- just stay inspired and keep learning and uh, stay plugged in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Like staying, keeping your like hope alive, right. like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. staying playing. Um, you asked me a question. I forgot what you'd ask about. Like once you learned a little bit about Ableton, mm. um, that was kind of like the fuel you needed to be like, Oh, there's, there's just a whole world here that I can dive into. Absolutely. I think my biggest conceptual leap with Ableton was just learning how the two, like, is it session view versus, um, Oh man, sorry, Ableton people session view versus, um, I know what you mean. Oh, uh, the other one, Oh fuck, it's not, um, <laughs> Arrangement view? Yes, thank you. <laughs> like understanding the relationship between those two screens mm-hmm. was like, oh, I get it. Like one's a traditional linear DAW. And then this other one is like time is not linear. Right. It's like, you know, you're just c- making this collage with these different clips and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and that's so fun. It's like having a box of watercolors. And then <laughs> if you wanted to like make a linear... Um, track you just hit record and then do your thing and then it like in the other window it's like recording it so yeah but it was like figuring that out just made the whole thing is like my eyes like opened up and I could understand what to do next yeah and especially with your uh you know sort of arsenal of of instruments and skills and the way you think about music in this kind of layered layered slash looped uh, fashion, I would imagine that Ableton just, you know, was the dovetailed with that perfectly. I've always been drawn to loops and, and layers. And I think that's why I really like Steve Reich so much is because you can see like one of his compositional phases was just, um, taking the the exact same, either like a vocal track or an instrumental track and superimposing it on itself out of phase. Right. So that you get these like psychoacoustic byproducts of that phase relationship. Mm-hmm. And like the, the musical material is so economic. Yes. Like there's not a lot to wrap my head around with like functional harmony and mm-hmm. all this stuff with, um, it's just simply like, here's this, line and here it is again and this is the relationship of it to itself and this is how yeah and and there are other you're not talking in terms of like electronic phase like in in terms of microphone polarity it's it's literally time phase where what was the what was the piece that he wrote that was for it was for two marimbas it might have been like two people on one marimba maybe it was two marimbas but they they played the exact same line oh nagoya marimbas no, no, no. That's later. Um, it, and and one like one person played the figure two BPM faster than the other person, and it took like six minutes to come back around into sync. But in the meantime, created all these kaleidoscopic sort of colors and and textures and and. Do you remember the piece I'm talking about? I I, I don't remember that marimba piece, but Maybe I know it was this called is marimba like, phase. Could be. Um, he wrote a piece called, are you going to Google it? Yeah. Okay, cool. There, <laughs> there was a piece he wrote called violin phase. Okay. That, um, is uh, exactly what you just said. Um, yeah, it's, mar- it's marimba a, phase. It's totally marimba phase. I have phase. to listen to that. Yeah. I know there's a, a piece called clapping music. Oh yeah, I did that, that one like too. That is like a very, 
Yeah, that we all do that in percussion ensemble, right? <laughs> right, right. You get convinced. Like, Your percussion professor convinces you that like this is the shit, right? Yes. This is, and and it is in a way. But you get out of school and you're like, wh- why? What? Why did I do that? <laughs> oh God, yeah. You especially know? if you wind up with like student loans or something like that. But sing. You've been yeah. re- you've been reading my mail. Jesus. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I mean, this this country. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, but it is it is the shit though. Yeah, like you're, yeah. they're not wrong. Right. And right. But in terms of like you know a, vo- a vocational training in order to make a living, you know, it's it's a separate it's a separate thing. And I've had right. this argument with you know many many people about like what is the responsibility of a college music program to expose mm. you expose you to high art on the one hand and prepare you to make any fucking money at all on the other hand. Right. Um, what is the responsibility of the institution? That's a good question. Yeah. What do you and, think? Well, I mean, I, ideally, I would like it to be balanced, but different institutions have different priorities. You go to Manhattan School of Music or Juilliard, um, you are being trained in an art, and and mm-hmm. they don't really concern themselves with whether or not you're going to be able to pay your rent. You know, you are paying them to train you to become an artist. A, a craftsman in this discipline. Whereas if you mm-hmm. go to, you know, Musicians Institute or in Atlanta, there's the Atlanta Institute of Music or even a place like Berkeley, um, you know, they're more geared to like get into the industry, do some damage, make some money, <laughs> you know. Um, right. So I wonder if that. Oh. I, I, I think different institutions have different priorities and, and different responsibilities, but um, the uh, students don't do enough work and they can't be expected to be because they're 18 fucking years old, but they don't, they don't think enough about like, what is my priority and does it match up with this school's priority? You know, because they look at the students, they look at the professors and everybody's a badass and it blows your mind and you're like, shit, I want to do that. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, that period of time to study percussion, at, at least for me, like I'm very grateful that I, was able to dedicate four or five years to being in classical ensembles, being Mm -hmm. in wind ensemble, being in percussion ensemble, learning how to compose music, studying different masters of composition. And where'd you go to school? I went to San Jose state. Okay. Um, and my percussion, um, instructor was also, uh, like my, section leader in the air force national guard band that i was in uh-huh. um so i it was kind of looking back on it, it was kind of an interesting experience like being a student you know in our civilian life and then during our dr- monthly drills like he was my like boss on the gig mm-hmm. so there was like a very real like application of the skills i was learning in school to this like employment situation early on right um and yeah like that being in San Jose, there was like such a rich music scene in the Bay area. And I also think like as a drummer who, and thank you for like not asking me this question, by the way, like I, and my take on it differs from um, what other percussionists, drummers who happen to be female might think. I, um, I appreciate not being asked what it's like to be a woman in this field. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, in relationship to the Bay area, I feel like in hind, in retrospect, I think I got a lot of opportunities in that community, um, 
because that was not as much of a uh, maybe barrier, like like starting work in a, a, a place like that um, where right. there had been some other great like trailblazing um, drummers who are women. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. Setting the standard. We've had um, we've had a number of, of female drummers on the show, some of which I've interviewed and some of which my uh, co-host Matt has interviewed. And mm-hmm. I, we have asked that ver- like a version of that question to some of them, and mm-hmm. they've all they've all answered you know very very graciously and and um, uh, informatively about that. But I no longer feel the need to ask it because kind of what I what I learned in hearing various people's answers is that sometimes it's a defining factor in their career. Sometimes it's it it is a factor in how they were shaped and the kind of musician they became. And sometimes yeah. it's not. And mm-hmm. if if it is, they'll probably talk about it without being asked. And mm-hmm. if it's not, then why make them, you know, make something up or, <laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, right um, on. Cool. Um, I think that's all I got. <laughs> cool. I mean, yeah. I don't know how long we've been talking. Is it, it, uh, no, we've been, we're good. We're oh, good. Dang. Um, and, and I, uh, you know, I, I would have I would have liked to dig a, a little bit more into um, you know the the specifics about your you know musical upbringing or your personal history or um, you know the uh, the artists that you've played with over the years. It's a really cool eclectic list of of you know different musicians and different artists. But um, I I really appreciate you having the conversation about sort of how musicians move forward in this season and, and what our priorities should be and what questions we should be asking. And, and like I said, you have, um, you have some great answers to those questions, but the fact that you're asking these questions and starting these conversations, um, was, was one of the main reasons I, I wanted to have you on. So I really appreciate, oh, thanks, Zach. really appreciate all the, uh, the, the outreach and, and outspokenness that you're doing. Uh, <laughs> I, this, I feel like time. I have, I literally have nothing to lose. Well, 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 that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. I, I very much like love the people that I've worked for. And, um, I hope to play with them again. And I, um, I just like, I really want some things about this industry to be better for drummers specifically. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I, I really appreciate you bringing me on to talk because I think this is like one of the only times during quarantine where I've like sat down and talked to another drummer about like how you've navigated this time and like how you see us going forward. And like, I really hope to have more of these conversations, not just with like musicians, but like drummers, Yeah, you know, like Mm -hmm. drummers are, we're our own beast. So for sure. Thanks for, for having a resource like this for us to come together on. Yeah. Well, thanks for being part of it great talking to you. Thanks, Zach. There you go. Beth Goodfellow. Hope that conversation was helpful and hopeful for you. I think it's important to start thinking about what to expect and what we deserve as our industry weathers the COVID storm and how musicians can be as unified as possible to make sure that music moves forward in a way that is safe and equitable for everyone. Like we said, lots of big questions there, but as long as we're having good faith conversations, I think the answers will come. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up on what we're doing every week. You can keep in touch with us there, too. Don't hesitate to drop 
us a line. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and Spotify, and check us out at patreon.com slash working drummer. We'd really appreciate your support there. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Steven Taylor of stevensdrumshed.com. Hope you check that out, and until then, stay safe, and thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>